here's the thing. Merry New Year! Happy New Year. In this country, we say Happy New Year. <laughs> Thank you for correcting my English with stinks. I am Nanja Ibuko, exchange student from Cameroon. <laughs> Merry New Year! Hey, 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 hey. It is not the new year but that's one of my favorite lines close enough in the movie Mm -hmm. uh happy holidays merry christmas hey everybody hanukkah's over but happy hanukkah for those of you i mean that we're late wishing you happy hanukkah uh happy kwanzaa coming Mm -hmm. up i believe Mm -hmm. it's how have you not seen this the holiday edition little jazzy is that no. Price is Right? What yeah, was that, that was The Price is Right. Why wouldn't you do holiday music? Like, Oh, that's probably an even better all idea. All I want for Christmas that's good. is you. Yeah. yeah. I just went jazzy off the top. No, I don't know weird. why. That was... <laughs> that, you just went... <laughs> <laughs> What's Christmas? Who's anyway. Who's next on The Price is Right? I am so fucking tired. Anyway, um, <laughs> my brain is melted out of my ears because of the year we've survived. Indeed. But we're ending it with a kick-ass holiday film. One that I believe is... It's either totally celebrated as a christmas movie by people or people never think of it as a christmas movie Mm -hmm. but regardless it is a fucking hilarious movie it's a classic 80s comedy um a classic john landis and it is 1983's trading places yep now, this is one that I told you guys you were going to start screaming. How has he not seen this? So let's ask him. Oh, I forgot to say, I'm Tracy. Oh, I'm Daniel. What's up? Yeah, we show each other movies the other one hasn't seen before. We're married legally. But you know this. We're connected through the law. Yeah. That's my wife. I'm looking into it. Yeah, she's, she's pretty <laughs> upset about it. <laughs> she's doing her best. <laughs> uh- <laughs> Wow. We're married. I'm looking into it. Okay. It's the end of the year. <laughs> uh, so, Daniel, mm-hmm. how have you not seen this? This is such a hilarious oversight on my part. Because this is bonkers. Come this on. is bonkers. This is a classic 80s comedy. And I grew up on classic 80s comedies because I was born in the early 80s. So, by the time I was into my you know middle school and high school years, I was catching up with all this stuff. Like, I mean, I was familiar with Coming to America ghostbusters stripes animal house like i mean so many 80s comedies 48 hours which uh no never seen 48 hours <gasps> yeah i don't know why well we can do that one too mm. uh but yeah so i saw so many 80s comedies starring the people in this movie eddie murphy and dan Aykroyd, and was so familiar with so many of their movies and so many movies in that like 80s comedy vibe that genre yeah uh so it's so weird to me that I saw all those movies and yet for some reason never saw this. And I'm trying to figure out why. I don't know. I don't remember ever specifically being introduced to, say, Coming to America by, like, a friend or my dad or something who would be like, hey, check this movie out, you know? It was just one of those movies I came across and saw and thought was funny when I was growing up. And so I was like, oh, this is great. And so I just... It's the first thing I ever bought you. I know. You bought me a Blu-ray of Coming to America. Um, and I just never saw, for some reason, Trading Places, even though it is not only reference in coming to america which i'm sure you'll talk about but it is of that 80s comedy vibe that 80s eddie murphy vibe and i mean he owned the decade yeah but this actually was his first so 48 hours he'd filmed mm-hmm. but this came out first oh so this is his first they got him from saturday night live this they were like one. they were like hey we like this kid from saturday night live when was beverly hills cop again Oh, come on. Yeah, because that was... That shit. Um, I want to Maybe that was 84. I think that was 84. I don't know, but that's another one that is... No. Come on. I think it, I think it was, Classic. yeah. So, which is another another one that I actually only saw for the first time in the past few years. You're um, welcome. Yeah, so it's really, really nuts. Uh, I, I completely should have seen this given the movies that I, A, saw growing up and B, yep. liked growing up. And yet, for some reason, never did. It's so weird and I can't figure out why. But I just never did. I have no, I I don't know what to do with you. Now, I was, my father is a huge Eddie Murphy fan. Now, that comes with, that comes with a 
what would I, what word? A caveat? A caveat, yes. My father is a huge TBS Eddie Murphy fan in that I don't think he's ever seen an Eddie Murphy movie that hasn't been um, edited for TV. TV. Clean. So that says, first of all, that says a lot about Eddie Murphy's comedy. Oh my God, I sound like my father. That sounds, that sounded so (sighs) old and conservative. That's hilarious. So Trading Place is one of my dad's favorite movies, as is, oh my God, I mean, uh, uh, what you just said. Coming to America? No, no, no. Uh, Axel F. What's wrong with me? Beverly Hills Cop. Beverly Hills Cop. I'm sorry. I'm going to see a neurologist in the new year because I'm forgetting things like in a really bad way. But so my dad, you're like, what's your favorite movie? And one of them, he'll say Beverly Hills Cop. He's never seen it with all the fucks in it. And I guarantee he's never seen Trading Places with all the boobies and the fucks and the N-word, which we will get to. Um, (laughs) But uh, he he showed me these movies early like he's like this is a great this is a a brilliant comedian we're gonna this is amazing because he'd been watching of course saturday night live Mm -hmm. that was that was the time when he'd be watching you know mr mr uh what was the thing that he was so popular with mr rogers neighborhood mr robinson's neighborhood mr robinson's neighborhood yes 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 (laughs) who could that be let's see This is how you answer a door in my neighborhood. Who is it? Hey, Robinson, open the door. I heard you in there. I heard you sing. Open up. Come on. Come on. It's Mr. Landlord. Hello, Mr. Landlord. <laughs> what the? Cut the bull, will you? Your rent's six months overdue. It's a summons. Oh, look. An eviction notice <laughs> brought by Mr. Landlord. Can you say scum bucket? <laughs> yeah, so. Oh, yeah, Buckwheat, James Brown. Yes. Like everything. He's yes, great. He's a yes. Legend. So that is the uh, background for me for Trading Places is that like I, it is a, it's like a comfort, it's like a comfort food for me watching mm-hmm. it. Like I know every part every part of it it's just watching it's just like being wrapped in a warm blanket of of boobies and fuck um <laughs> but yeah so when i found out that daniel hadn't seen it i was like well this is perfect because it's a christmas movie because it takes it takes place at christmas and there's a lot of christmas stuff there's a dan Aykroyd in a santa suit and a giant slab of smoked salmon stuff so down good. it <laughs> so good um, and um and actually daniel had already seen uh our friend trey slaughter who's an amazing artist did a painting of dan Aykroyd in the santa suit holding a gun to his head wasn't he holding the gun to his head in the I painting so. yeah mm-hmm. yeah and uh i think my brother-in-law bought it my sister's like we're not hanging this now <laughs> but anyway I digress. So you want me to tell you a little bit? You want me to tell you the uh, plot and then you tell me what you thought? Yes. The plot. You tell me what you thought. We talk about the movie. What? Uh, 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 uh. No. What, what on earth was that? I don't know. Um, <laughs> sorry, our producer is in the background chewing on a bone out of spite. We She's decided... been silent all day. Silent. But we decided that she did this out of spite. So um... the minute we turn our focused attention away from her, she's like, I'm just going to chew my bone and make a noise. Yep. So we apologize for that. Now, this movie is kind of like if you've ever seen The Prince and the Pauper or there's a Mark Twain story that it references. I can't think of the a Connecticut Yankee in King Arthur's Court. The No. Um, but it's directed by John Landis and it tells the story. I'm going to read this from Wikipedia just because tells the story of an upper class commodities broker. We'll discuss what that is later. No one knows. It's played by Dan Aykroyd and a poor street hustler, Eddie Murphy, whose lives cross when they are unwittingly made the subject of an elaborate bet to test how each man will perform when their life circumstances are swapped. Basically, these two super, super rich old men who are brothers, the Duke brothers, Mortimer and 
Randolph. Randolph. Thank you. Randolph and Mortimer. They are awful people. They're awful people. But it's really hard not to love them because they're played by Ralph Bellamy and Don Amici. Hollywood legends. Hollywood legends. And I have a funny story about Don Amici being cast in this. They make this bet that I think it's Randolph believes that it's nature. No, he believes in uh, nurture and Amici believes in nature. And so uh, that's what it is. Mm-hmm. And so they're like, I think uh, I can. we can get some dude from the street and we can turn him into a proper gentleman and we can do the same. We can take a proper gentleman and turn him into a guy on the street. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, Dan Aykroyd, who's uh, Winthrop, Winthorpe. is Winthorpe. Which is, I got to admit, a weirder name. Winthorpe. Lewis Winthorpe. We'll just call him Lewis. Yeah. Um, Lewis Winthorpe. It's not like I haven't seen the movie 8,000 times. But no, like, I, I, even in the movie, I was like, Winthrop. I just want to call him Winthrop. Yeah. I feel like Winthorpe is too snooty and confusing. Well, that's the idea. I get it. So, yeah, it's that, that's the plot. And it goes in all sorts of crazy ways. Also, the Duke brothers are trying to corner the market on frozen concentrated orange juice. Just like a, a James Bond movie. Yes. How many James Bond movies have we seen the villain time and again take over the uh-huh. world through frozen concentrated orange juice no pulp uh no pulp and so they have a bad guy who is played so beautifully by paul gleason Mm -hmm. yes um and it just goes on and on like you i'm going to tell you the cast later i'm going to tell you more stuff but tell me what you thought because i was worried that you didn't like it right no 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 yeah it was good it was really funny it was both really funny and also really cool to see from like a film history and like loving film perspective, if that makes sense. Because yes. it was obviously like funny to see these guys do great stuff in this in this story. And I really liked how, I mean, they're being like manipulated by these two old, bored, rich racists. Yep. And so. I mean, racists. Real racists. Man, they say the N-word. Um, and so you want the, the guys, you want Dan Aykroyd and, and Eddie Murphy to team up. Because you're like, that would be the most fun. Because, like, neither one of them is the villain. Nope. You know, like, Dan Aykroyd's upset that Eddie Murphy got his life. But Eddie Murphy's not the bad guy. He's being misled, too. So you want them to team up and go against the old dudes. And they do. And it's it's really fun and entertaining. Um, I thought it was uh, really funny to see this style. Because that style of um, comedy and cuts and editing that you see in a lot of 80s John Landis movies is also really present and sharp in this. That's our cat Hercules. Hercules. Screaming his, just and yelling. There he is. And the bone. Just, this is just what they're doing. This the, is their end of the year gift to you. We live in kind of a zoo slash sanctuary for weird animals. Anyway. Menagerie. Yes. So I thought it was uh, really funny. I It made me think again about how Eddie Murphy was just like nuclear level charming at such a young age. Because oh, he's God, in like yes. his early 20s in this. Like he's so young. And he's just lightning on screen amazingly funny so quick to react and so natural and you're like it's he really is like one of those like once in a generation comedic talents and there's a total reason he owned the 80s comedy scene and continues to be a legend to this day because it's fucking eddie murphy he's so good i loved seeing the interplay between him and dan Aykroyd. i also thought it was fun to watch dan Aykroyd from this particular year because he told me it was 83 mm-hmm. so this is this is before ghostbusters Yes. So Acro, of course, already humongous SNL, you know, comedies, Blues Brothers, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, this is another yeah, big one. Yeah, he's fresh off Blues Brothers. And uh, yeah, because Blues Brothers was like 81, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was really cool to see him like in that like last bit before I feel like Ghostbusters, of course, was enormous and, and took him in other directions even more. Um, <laughs> so uh, it was it was really cool to see. I thought the, the bench was super stacked and deep and I loved it. Um, I love seeing Paul Gleason as the the bad guy. He's, of course, known as the the principal in The Breakfast Club to a lot of people. And I think it's – I love watching him in this because it made me think about how some actors are able to really kind of like be chameleons and, and change hats a lot. And that can be really cool. Yeah. But I think what people forget is that the reason we love actors and the, the reason we love actors that become legends is they're really good at like a handful of things, you know? Yeah. Like I want to see – Tom Cruise looks scared and run and jump and save the day. 
Yeah. That's what he's amazing at. And I love him for that. You know, like that's, that's what I want to see him do every time out. Um, Wait, you're contradicting yourself. So you don't want to see him in a, in a role like in Magnolia. He runs in that and he saves the day emotionally. Mm. Okay. We're, this is Magnolia is a good movie. We can move on from that. Um, she's just <laughs> angrily staring out the window. Um, so yeah, like I'm like, Oh, Paul Gleason comes up. I don't want to see Paul Gleason be like a lovable. I want to see Paul Gleason be a dick, a huge that dick gets into hijinks and like tries to fuck with. Cause he's such an amazing heavy. He's such a great snobby prick yes. of eighties movies. And you're like, yes. he's so perfect in that. It's great. Yeah. Love seeing Denholm Elliott who plays Marcus Brody in the Indiana Jones movies as the Butler colson here he was hilarious oh, uh, i loved him so cute uh i did have to laugh it's a lot of it is very 80s because dan Aykroyd's character is uh louis is helped out by ophelia a uh, sex worker played by jamie lee curtis who exists to show her boobs on screen they're spectacular the woman was in amazing shape and she was very very pretty but it's it's very 80s in that like he crosses paths with this sex worker and then she, well, takes, she gets paid by Gleason. She gets paid by Gleason to like b- break up his relationship in front yeah. of his, his girlfriend and then just like walks off, but then takes to him because she's just like, can you know, curious about his like sad, weird case and just like latches onto him. And within like a day is like just we're buds and like he's like sick and she like curls up naked next to him in bed. And I'm like, wow, whoa, she's super friendly. Like it, it's it's very eighties. It was very like eighties. Like we got to get some some random boobs in there some way. But Jamie Lee Curtis, I think, is definitely a good choice for it because she's got so much spunk and attitude, and makes it more than just we cast some boobs in a supporting role. Yeah. Um. Because she's she's really funny and great, and so I like I like seeing her, and it's it's great to see her in one of those younger movies too. It's just fun to absolutely get her in that. Um. So yeah, I thought the cast was great and the energy was great. I am almost 40 and i don't quite know how commodities trading works um I don't think and so either. the resolution of the movie is about Ackroyd and murphy pulling a switcheroo and making some money on this commodities market and getting their revenge on the old guys and busting them out and i could maybe explain like two-thirds of what they did with, and not even with competence. We'll get to that. I found myself wishing, and they even did a good job. Like there's a scene when, like, when Ackroyd and Murphy, when they go to the stock exchange at the end, before they even get on the floor and do stuff, there's just like a montage narrated by Ackroyd of like, here's how this works for clearly people in the audience like me who were like, how does our economy function? And yeah. I could still, yeah. Yeah. I still was like, I think I get it. And then they started trading stuff, and I was like, I don't know what the fuck's going on. I just know they're winning. And they seem very happy, so the good guys are winning right yeah, now. Yeah. So I feel <laughs> remarkably uh, inept and uneducated when I see stuff like that. I'm like, ah, I would almost understand it better if I could see like numbers on an internet screen, just like going up and down. I'm like that's they won. You know, I'm just I need like a progress bar downloading something. Like, oh, they won. They got the thing. They downloaded the thing. Um, but uh, I thought it was it was really funny. I thought Eddie Murphy did some great fourth wall breaks where he just like looks in the camera, which is killed me oh yeah um his his attitude and reactions are so good and he's so smooth and i just thought again about how young he was because uh when i saw beverly hills cop a few years ago it was to write a piece about that movie for it's like i want to say 30th anniversary um and i remember thinking looking up at the time how young eddie murphy was in that and so this he's even younger and Mm -hmm. you just think like how like galactically confident and funny you have to be to be that young and just carry a huge movie like this mm-hmm. and he carries it with su- with such swagger like he's been doing this for 50 Aplomb, years absolutely like he is so smooth in this and you're like were you born doing that how are you this good and watchable and funny on screen he's just one of those he's, people he's I mean, genuinely magnetic he's so funny um so i thought he was he it was great to see another classic eddie murphy comedy that i had not seen because i love eddie murphy comedies um so i had does, a, he does break the wall they mm-hmm. do try. The Duke brothers try to explain commodities. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um. And uh. And they he sit does down break and... the wall. And uh, it's that's when he they're like <laughs> talking about pork bellies. Now, uh, some of our clients are speculating that the price of gold will rise in the future 
And we have other clients who are speculating that the price of gold is going to fall. And they place their orders with us, and we buy or sell their gold for them. Tell them the good part. <laughs> the good part, William, is that no matter whether our clients make money or lose money, Duke and Duke get the commissions. Well, what do you think, Valentine? Well, it sounds to me like you guys are a couple of bookies. <laughs> I told you he'd understand. <laughs> so they, they, they do uh, try to explain there. And for a moment, I'm like, huh? And then I go, no. And I get it. I mostly get it. But then I'm also like, I don't. I don't get it. Totally. It just reminds, it makes me feel like there was this great Onion headline years ago about how, like, money's on an illusion, you know? And you're like, mm-hmm. I feel like this just really stresses the fact that we're all just guessing and pretending and nothing is real. And the stock market is just a pure illusion. And it's just gambling for bored rich people. Like, I, I just... think it is. Yeah. So, but the the larger existential worries about the house of cards that our economy is built on, notwithstanding... I thought it was a really fun, funny movie. Yay! Um, and I, I loved seeing the great cast, really deep bench. I also loved how grimy and outside it was because it's shot in these like city exteriors in the 80s. Yes. And I, I love when movies, especially from that era, capture a very grimy, rained on sense of place. This this is no polished cityscape. This is not like a prettified thing even the like nice parts with like the duke building and the the swanky stuff feel like urban and gritty and like city and like everything feels vaguely like there's trash in the corner and i really love cityscapes like that that are captured so realistically on film make you feel like in a place in a time so So that was cool i feel like that is a 70s and 80s thing Mm -hmm. where they're like let's just show the reality i also think it's a budget thing very likely. Um, their budget was only fifteen million. That's not much. Now for the cast that they had, mm-hmm. um, and the stuff that they got paid, like it's people took pay cuts to be in this movie. Yeah, because most of your budget is still going to go to stars, and I mean, fifteen million is, I mean, that's probably like thirty thirty five today. So this is like a a mid budget movie, the kind that don't get made today. Yeah. So it ended up being number four. Number the number four movie of the whole year, and That's this awesome. is when you've got mm-hmm. big stuff coming out. No, that was, it, um, there were big movies coming it out. It made ninety point four million dollars. That's huge. That's close to like two hundred today. Yeah, um, which is which is huge. It did really really well. Yeah, uh, because people like boobs. Yeah, they do. And um, there are boobs in it. There are not that many boobs. There I mean, the there boobs. are boobs, but there's but an even number. So you there's... know, <laughs> that's all horrible joke to make <laughs> just felt like well, no i don't know why it just seemed funny to me good god <laughs> but uh yeah uh yeah it's so i thought it was re- i thought it was both funny and i loved seeing the the jokes and the chemistry and the comedy and i also loved seeing another like almost 40 year old like comedy classic that i had not seen it's always fun to like fill in a bit of like film history like that for me oh so, yeah mm-hmm. yeah oh yeah i dug it i'm very glad i got to see it i'm so glad mm-hmm. So it's a good, it's, do you agree that it's a Christmas movie? See, that's, uh, my friend, uh, Brad was talking about this online the other day. He's, you know, cause oh, the, Brad. Yes. the, the, the trite annual dialogue is, is Die Hard a Christmas movie. And you're like, okay, well that assumes that you have come to a common understanding on like, what even is a Christmas movie? Is it like set at Christmas? Is it fundamentally, fundamentally about Christmas? Like, is it just, you know, what? What are we even calling a Christmas movie? Um, I feel like everything really just could be whatever you want it to be. So given the fact that this is set at Christmas and New Year's and even has Dan Aykroyd in a dingy Santa suit, he must have stolen off a dead hobo infiltrating an office Christmas party. I was like, yeah, totally. Christmas movie all the way because it's Christmas themed, it's Christmas vibed. You know, I saw a really cheeseball Christmas movie. 80s movie the other day called The Package with uh, Gene Hackman and Tommy Lee Jones. Maybe early 90s. Um, and it's set around the holidays, but I, it's not a holiday movie. It's just set at the holidays because they were like, hey, it's winter. We need to be able to film outside uh, and let's make it a holiday thing. Um, so it's it's not really a, a holiday movie. But I, this one to me feels like it just because you've got, you know, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis, you know, trimming the tree on Christmas Eve. Mm-hmm. And that's when the Christmas party is. So, and it's set around the holidays specifically because the 
financial plot that they're trying to hijack revolves around a report coming out on New Year's for like the next fiscal year. Mm -hmm. So yeah, holiday movie for sure. Yes. Mm -hmm. Holiday movie. Beef jerky time. Should I talk about casting? Because I've got some cool stuff about the casting. Go for it. Uh, this movie was developed. This There was no Dan Aykroyd and there was no Eddie Murphy. Um, what happened was uh, there was a movie in 1980 called Stir Crazy, which is hilarious if you haven't seen it. We're adding it to the list for Daniel. Mm-hmm. Starring Richard Pryor and Gene Wilder. To also, also two comedy two legends. geniuses. Just geniuses. Jeez. Um, and then, uh, and so that was, it was going to be called Black and White. <sighs> which is different than what they called it. This reminds me of that uh, Margaret Cho bit from like the 90s where she was talking about trying to pitch her show at the network and they kept coming up with like really racist titles. Like, yeah. what about East Meets West? Yeah. She's like, fuck it, just call it Walk on the Wild Side or something. <laughs> You know, you're just like another genius. Yeah. You're just like, oh, black and white. Oh. Black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I know it's not good. But then they had a they had a mishap. Um, Richard Pryor set himself on fire, freebasing cocaine. And look, anybody can do that. It, a lot more people have than you realize. I've done it four times. It happens to the best of us. Yeah. And Richard Pryor is nothing if not the best of us. So they had to, they had to bow out. Yeah. I mean, um, throw stones in your glass house, Mr. I've never caught myself on fire freebasing cocaine. Look how fancy you are. Yeah. Nature is wonderful. When I, when you burn up, your skin goes to sleep. Because nature says, I can't deal with it. <laughs> and just goes to sleep. And so you don't feel shit for about three days till your nerves wake up. I didn't know that. I figured I ain't feeling nothing. Everything's fine. Well, so Paramount was like, what about Eddie Murphy? We're not super happy about 48 Hours, which was also conceived as a prior project. But um, 48 Hours wasn't released yet. Of course, jokes on them. It ended up being huge. Um, yep. But they were like, you know, let's... They showed Landis Murphy's Saturday Night Live stuff and his auditioned uh, tapes. And he's Landis is like, yeah, all right. Like, Let's let's try it. Let's do mm-hmm. it. And then Landis wanted Dan Aykroyd to be the co-star. He had worked with him on the Blues Brothers, which, come on, Blues God. Brothers, amazing. I saw that in high school and have loved it ever since. Great, great movie. Great Chicago movie. Great music. God. Yes. Good one. Fantastic. Uh, again, Paramount Pictures was like, we don't like this. We don't we don't want this. Um he works better as a duo. Like he's not going to be able to do well on his own. And Landis is like, just shut it. So Ackroyd takes a pay cut. Um, now, Eddie Murphy said he was paid three hundred fifty thousand dollars for the role. Okay. It was reported that the film that the figure was as high as one million. So we don't actually know, but he was paid a lot of money. Mm-hmm. Um, studio was also like, we don't like Jamie Lee Curtis because she was seen as a low quality B movie scream queen. Right, because. Halloween, Halloween was just like 78, I want to say. Yeah. So not that long before. And and prom night would have been between Halloween and this. Yep. So. Landis had worked with her on the horror documentary Coming Soon, for which she served as the host. She wanted to move away from horror films. She actually turned down the role in Psycho 2. Smart. Because you know her mother is Janet Lee. Right. Also that you know the movie's gonna be a piece of shit. Well, you know it. Yeah, of course. <laughs> no, but I'm just saying, like, she's like, no, I'm not doing that. Very smart. Um so she was paid a million dollars to do Halloween 2 as a favor to the director, John Carpenter. Yep, who's great. But she received only $70,000 for trading places. <laughs> so, zoinks. Now, but I get it. Like, it's like you said, she wants to move away. So she's she's paying herself with future potential projects. Which paid which off. Which totally works. She's totally like, I'll, off. I'll, pay, I'll take pennies for this because it's going to pave a different road for me. Yeah. Smart. Also... Her hair, which is which is that that classic, the real short, short hair, Jimmy Lee Curtis haircut. Yeah, mm-hmm. she had long hair, and they were like, "What?" And the uh, his wife, uh, Landis's wife, was like, "What if you cut it short?" She's like, "Okay." Huh. So you know, yeah, that's where that comes from. Now here is the here are the Duke brothers, who uh, Ralph Bellamy, y'all, his girl Friday. You will fall in love with him. Hollywood classic. His, oh, precious. 
Go watch it right now. Go watch anything with Ralph Bellamy. Stop this podcast. Throw why your computer are you listening away. to this? Stop it. Go watch Ralph Bellamy movies. Ralph Bellamy is sublime. Uh, he was the first choice for Randolph. Nothing else. Like, he has to be Randolph. For Mortimer, uh, Landis wanted Ray Milland. Huh. Um, which you've seen, who you've seen in Dial In For Murder. You've seen him in... Um, Another Hollywood heavyweight, a classic name. Yeah, and he wanted, they wanted someone who was not associated with being a villain. Like, okay. Ralph Bellamy was the good guy in everything. So yeah, the he's fact such a that nice they guy. cast him as a villain, you're like, what? Yeah. Um, so they wanted Ray Milland, but he couldn't pass the physical. So, for insurance... Huh. So then Landis is like, what about Don Amici? Yeah. They find out, this is, a, this is just a little trivia. They find, they're like, where is he? He hasn't done any movies in forever. They find out that his screen guild, um, they find they contact the screen guild. They find the out his royalty. Guild? Yeah, mm-hmm. screen actors guild, sorry. Mm-hmm. They find out that his royalty payments are being sent to his son in Arizona. They're like, is he dead? So they assume he's dead. Oh, God. Then one of the Paramount Studios secretaries is like, I see him occasionally in santa monica so they call directory assistance and find a d amici whoa <laughs> and they're like why haven't you acted he's like no one's asked me to <laughs> so they so um because don amici apparently i guess he invested i don't know but he was financially independent like he did not need any money mm-hmm. so the studio is like well, we're not paying him what we were going to pay milan and amici's like oh go fuck yourself you're paying me exactly what everybody else is getting like mm-hmm. you know you're paying me equal pay so mm-hmm. that's how they got don amici um who also i have to tell you was super nervous and upset about having to swear oh that's or cute. say you know say bad words he, he does so say the n-word he says the n-word he says fuck him he says things like that and they said that he would come in early and like go to every single person and apologize in advance for swearing oh my god i could not love him more don't you want to just hug this old wrinkly man oh. who's apologizing to like the makeup lady i think about that stuff all the, the time rigors yeah the i think about that stuff all the time like grip so, like if you're like listen man i'd have to pull the scene partner side and be like you know i'm just doing lines right i feel real awful even having to say this i'm so sorry because it's it's in character but like i'm so sorry don amici is great he is another hollywood classic actor i mean classic golden age uh he's in one of my favorite movies uh heaven can wait directed by ernst lubitsch it is a genius beautiful perfect movie ernst lubitsch written by samson rafelson it is such a just amazing movie um and don amici is is the lead in that he's so good He's perfect. So, and it's funny, like, you know, this movie came out in 83. So they're casting these guys who were like in these golden era of Hollywood movies, you know, like 40 years earlier. And so, you know, now seeing the movie, especially a younger person would not know who these folks are no. necessarily. And, no. and even maybe an older person might not be as familiar with them. But it's fun to think about the, the juice they got from the casting of these guys in these roles at that time. Mm-hmm. It'd be like if, you know... 20 years from now, after radio silence, Tom Hanks showed up playing a wild racist in a movie, you know, yeah, and yeah. like, and did this. You'd be like, it's exactly what it like is. Like, if he came out and was like old, you're like, oh, it's Tom Hanks, man. Oh, I love Tom. I grew up, my parents grew up on Tom Hanks. I love Tom Hanks movies. And he came out and was like dropping the N word and saying, fuck him, and just being like horrible, manipulative guy in like a wacky comedy. You'd be like, whoa, what is happening? Exactly. Um, so that's kind of what this is like. You know, doing this in the early 80s with these guys. So. Exactly. But this also kickstarted Amici's career again. Uh, because oh, like kind of revived then, it for the yeah, 80s and Cocoon. stuff? Cocoon. Cocoon, batteries not included. Mm-hmm. Um, which, if you want to get me started crying. Don't. Um, I could probably sing the theme song. Don't do it. Okay, I won't. Um, yeah, so that, I love that they intentionally sought out guys who had never been seen as villains to be the villains yeah that's great um now this one i love when they were casting beaks they were like you oh, know who we want paul gleason the paul hit gleason mm-hmm. yeah when they were the hitman guy who well, not hitman not hitman the, the bad guy who does bad he does errands. a lot of bad he's like stuff. a bad errand runner for the duke brothers yeah yeah um fixer maybe the fixer yeah, yeah. the fixer they wanted g gordon liddy yeah they wanted g gordon liddy and he was like, yeah, I'll do it. Yeah. 
And then they're like, okay, so at the end, you get hit over the head by a gorilla, and then you get put in a gorilla suit, and then you, you probably get raped by a gorilla. And he's like, I'm G. Gordon Liddy. And they're yeah. like, so yes do and you have like, a reputation left to tarnish they're like no he's like no i'm not doing that and they're like oh but oh so as a joke they had paul gleason reading liddy's autobiography will while he was on the train you know i saw him reading the the g gordon liddy book on the train and i thought it was a funny shout out to g gordon liddy and like paul gleason's character type it was a um, shout out to you were a dork who wouldn't take a fun role do we do we need to explain who g gordon liddy is uh, he was the central figure in Watergate. Oh my! No, I was just that's just weird to me that that reference too is like you know dated because more than forty should years I go ago. With G, should I be talking? No, it's just, it's just FBI crazy. FBI agent, you know, figure in the Watergate scandal. All you need to know is Watergate, but uh, which is again why that's kind of a genius idea to cast him. You I know. know. Um, but he got all fuzzy about being a gorilla. Yeah, but he's a piece of shit anyway. Because uh, I wanted to see that's funny. That makes sense with that with that book as a yep. reference to that because when you see it, it actually just makes sense that a jerk like Gleason would be reading that guy's autobiography. Yes. So I thought it was like a sight gag to be to highlight the kind of jerk that Gleason was playing. That's funny. Yeah, yeah. Because it's an eighties movie, you uh do see the World Trade Center, which is it's jarring. Always a punch in the gut. Jarring. Uh, and it's actually filmed in the World Trade Center. It they wanted to the film interiors? it. Like yes. the, oh wow! They wanted to film it. The scene was scripted to take place at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, which is where they would be doing uh-huh. that sort of thing. But they couldn't get permission, so it was filmed at the Comex Com- Commodity Exchange located inside Four World Trade Center. Wow! Um, which is so weird because it's not there anymore. Like it's so weird. Right. Um. And also, I found out commodities are no longer traded that way. There's all those crazy people like, okay. running around like lunatics. You could tell me they were, and I wouldn't even know. Well, I know, but I just thought it was mm-hmm. interesting. Now, this I love. There is a law on the books okay. that is called the Eddie Murphy Rule. It's about banning using misappropriated government information to trade in the com- commodity markets. Because of the movie. It took 30 years, but in 2010, the U.S. government finally made it illegal to profit off of ill-gotten information. Huh. Commodity Future Trading Commission Chief Gary Ginsley actually referenced trading places on the floor of Congress. Amazing. So this is Section 136 of the Wall Street Transparency and Accountability Law of the Dodd-Frank Wall Street Reform and Consumer Protection Act under Section 746. You're welcome. That was going to be my guess. Dodd-Frank was huge. Um, Uh, They. Wow. Yeah. And by the way, when you watch the movie, they talk about gold, wheat. um, Pork bellies. Pork bellies, which they thought was funny. They put pork bellies in because they thought pork bellies Mm -hmm. and frozen concentrated orange juice. I, for most of my life, thought that frozen concentrated orange juice was put in there as a joke. Right. It's not. It's really traded. It's really traded. Yeah, which I think is hilarious. Which is hilarious. Right. They were originally going to have it be like silver. Um, but then they thought, wouldn't pork bellies? OJ's funnier. Yeah, it's much funnier. No, OJ's, OJ's funnier. And also highlights again what little I know. Because at the end of the movie, to make the play happen, what happens is Ackroyd and Murphy get their hands on advanced knowledge of what's going to happen with the frozen concentrated orange juice futures the crops they because they realize the duke brothers are going to have secret access to the report early so they switch it out and they get the report instead and so they take you know they go to the market to, to corner it and make a lot of money and bust the duke boys out but what's so funny is like as they're going off you know jamie lee curtis and, and their other friend is like hey here's all my money here's all my life savings you take it and let's all get rich and i was like but what did they what did they do with the money how did they use the money to buy? I had it here. Orange juice futures and no, some... they bought them. What did the money do? Okay, so this is what this says. This is from the Atlantic. John Landis said they used real commodity traders as extras, and it took him a lot of studying to understand Winthorpe and Valentine's con, which I still don't get. Well, you didn't do a good job visually conveying it, Jonathan. No, Jonathan. Maybe you were too distracted from murdering people. Okay, we'll we'll get to that. Yep. Basically, the Dukes are insider trading, which that's obvious. I gathered that. And Winthorpe and Valentine front run them by first agreeing to sell the OJ in April at $142. Okay. An artificially inflated price. 
the product of the Dukes trying to corner the market. Sure. But the other brokers buy their contracts because they think the prices will be even higher in the future. So it's a deal. Once those contracts are set, Winthorpe and Valentine wait for the price to bottom out after the crop report comes out saying the oranges are going to do just fine. Once the price drops to 29, they buy the futures at that price to fulfill the $142 contracts so they win big. Does okay. that make sense? Yeah, so they had contracts to sell them at like 150 bucks per unit of whatever. The price bottoms out, so they buy up the supply they need for like 30 bucks a head. And so they're profiting like 120 bucks per Sorry. whatever. I okay. feel like I feel like that's it. That's right. that's close to it. Yeah. And again, I understand John Landis having to study for a long time to get this. It's not easy. No. But I feel like not for normies, I guess. Not for not for just run of the mill dumbass civilians like me. Yeah. I'm sorry. Uh, the laces in my shoes are just the elastic ones. So I don't have to tie them. <laughs> Do you know what I'm dealing with upstairs every day? So I feel like honestly, that's a fault of the the script and the director to not better illustrate how these guys are actually making money because it's an 80s comedy. There's no like subterfuge there. Like Mortimer and Randolph are like, I believe in heredity. Well, I believe it. Like they're very clear about like what's happening. Like, I bet you I could do this with a guy like it, you're not supposed to be wondering what's happening and how. So I really not think at they, all. I think they should have done a much better job at laying out exactly how the scheme was going to work. Maybe they did and we're just stupid. Maybe they did. Shit. I mean, maybe they did. We should ask my dad. I just No, I'm not doing that. Okay, I'll ask my dad. Okay. Oh my god, then it'll just go into a whole political thing. Never yeah, mind. I'm not doing that. Yeah, no. you're right. Life is too short. You're... <laughs> There's a lot of great stuff in this movie. Totally. You had a story about John Landis that I was completely unaware of. Yes. John Landis is credited with directing some comedy classics from Hollywood in the 80s. Oh, like the classics. And is also, by many accounts... A piece of trash. And a murderer. And a murderer. Because, and again, I'm going to be reading from Wikipedia, because what the fuck? I don't, I'm not, I didn't, I don't have, I have the same books you have, the same internet you have. I'm just sharing the knowledge that you can dig into more. You yeah. Know? There you go. So in July of 82, they're filming the movie, The Twilight Zone. You know, that's going to have like a, just bringing back the whole, whatever. It's, uh, it's not great. Anyway. So, during the filming of that, actor Vic Morrow and a couple of child extras were killed in an accident involving an out-of-control helicopter. They were caught under it when it crashed. John Landis was directing this. Landis and four of the crew members were charged with involuntary manslaughter, and the prosecutors attempted to show that Landis was reckless and had not been honest with the kids' parents or other crew members about how close the kids were to the explosives they'd rigged up on the helicopter for the special effect. Now then, Landis does admit that he'd broken California law by keeping the kids working after hours. He's mm -hmm. violating child labor laws by having them work too long, which is, which is everybody knows is why they often cast twins and triplets uh, in child roles because yeah. you can just swap the kids out. Yeah. So he admits he's like, I definitely kept those kids after hours, but didn't do anything else wrong. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. So that happens in summer of 82 after which he then goes on to then film and make Trading Places. Like, this is fresh when Trading Places is being produced and released. This story takes most of the 80s. Uh, it's not until 86, 87 that there's a trial, a nine-month jury trial, uh, and Landis and the other crew members were acquitted. He was later reprimanded for circumventing child labor laws in California, which resulted in stricter laws and stricter enforcement. The parents of the deceased children sued and eventually settled out of court for $2 million per family. Uh, the actor Vic Morrow, his children, one of whom was actress Jennifer Jason Lee, also settled out of court for an undisclosed sum. So it is really, really awful, awful situation and you know, the fact that he was complicit in the deaths of these humans and these children on a movie Disgusting. he was making and then denied any culpability or responsibility. It's disgusting. And went on to be a piece of trash. And there was an interview years later that Eddie Murphy did about John Landis being just trash because this, you know, definitely had an impact on Jan John Landis's career in the 80s, especially even though he was acquitted, like it does not look good. So Eddie Murphy's the one that gets him the job directing Coming to America later in the decade, I believe. 
Um, and then John Landis just starts throwing his weight around like I'm hot shit. And, you know, just Eddie Murphy sticking his neck out, being a nice guy and trying to help somebody out. And John Landis being garbage. And John Landis also fathered a child named Max, who's like a sexual predator and asshole. And my boyfriend. Oh, God. No. Terrible. Run. Bail. Escape. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> And Max Landis also wrote like... Uh, the Netflix movie Bright with Will Smith and the aliens and stuff. And he's just, mm-hmm, and just a general mm-hmm. creepy motherfucker. So John Landis, garbage dude. And yet credited with and has directed some 80s comedy classics. And so that's just one of the weird fucking things about life. Trash, worthless people have made awesome stuff. And that's life is just learning to live with that tension in some way. So a little trivia for you there about John Landis. Yeah. So when you watch Trading Places, think... When they were making this, he had just recently been involved in killing a guy and two kids. So Yeah, it's not great. It's not great. It's not not great. Well, I was going to say, talking about where where careers went with this, Mm -hmm. uh, this totally revitalized Aykroyd's career. He ended up doing Ghostbusters, Spies Like Us, Dragnet. He earned an Academy Award nomination for Driving Miss Daisy. Uh, Trading Places is considered Jamie Lee Curtis's breakout performance. Yes. She mm-hmm. was then cast in one of the greatest comedies ever made, A Fish Called Wanda. Oh, my God. So good. One of the greatest comedies you know, ever made. I'm really glad you bring up the Jamie Lee Curtis thing because I hadn't thought about it. Because, yeah, she did Halloween and Prom Night and stuff. But who gives a shit about those? Yeah, but this, first of all, Halloween's amazing. It's so good. Okay, but it's not, it doesn't play to the bigger crowd. No, it doesn't. And it's really cool to think of this as, yeah, like setting her on a whole different trajectory and being Mm -hmm. a breakout. That's Mm -hmm. really cool. Yeah. And then of course, Amici ends up winning uh, his only Academy award (gasps) for best supporting actor in cocoon, which I've not seen, Um, which I'll have to show you, but it just makes me cry so much, but I'll show you. And actually I should show you because it has Wilford Brimley in it. And one of our cats looks exactly like Wilford Brimley. She does. We call her Wilford. Diabetes. 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 Uh, actually, the um, I wanted to tell you. Okay, um, the music uh was by Elmer Bernstein, which I thought was and it was great. He used Classic. a lot of he used a lot of Mozart. Yep. Um, which was fantastic. He was nominated for an Academy Award. Huh. For this, yes. Uh, the cinematography, Robert Painter, he's basically John Landis's dude. He did everything and you can that John tell Landis did. That does not everything. surprise me at all. I was going to ask about that because it has the exact same diffused light, deep focus look. No, no real sharp light, no real sharp angles. But if you've seen like Animal House, yep. uh, if, if you've seen uh, Blues Brothers, then you know exactly what this movie is going to look like. Yep, he did an American Werewolf in London, yep. Trading mm-hmm. Places, Thriller, Into the Night, Spies Like Us. Uh, I like his Trump. look. I think it's a really good look because it's really grounded and it's yep. cool to see comedies, comedies today, because they let him improv so much, basically just shoot everything bright and clear and just like say, just make jokes about Game of Thrones and we'll cut stuff into a comedy. Uh, but like they, <laughs> they're like, back then they were like, wrote a script, we're shooting on film, we got to fucking nail this. And so like, let's make it look good on purpose. Uh, and it, re- I really love his look because it's, it looks like, I mean, it's happening in a real places, a real city, real streets, real people. Mm-hmm. It's a really cool feel. Mm-hmm. There was a little bit of ad libbing because in the scene that they're on a train. Uh-huh. Oh, this is awkward. But they're on a train going back to Philadelphia. This is the, the whole posse. And they're going to um, steal the crop report from Paul Gleason from, from Beaks and replace it with a fake one to fool the mm-hmm. brothers and um they're all dressed in these outrageous costumes um <sighs> yeah, yeah know, no we'll, we'll talk about that but um yeah. no jamie lee curtis was dressed in lederhosen mm-hmm. and she was supposed to have an austrian accent mm-hmm. and she couldn't do it so she was like i'm inga from sweden and denim elliott was like but you're wearing lederhosen. She's like, yeah, for sure, from Sweden. Like she, that was totally ad libbed nice. because they, she couldn't do it. That's funny. And they're like, all right, she's from Sweden. I don't know. Look at her tits. Yeah. Um. Also, we have Dan Aykroyd in oh. full blackface. It is rough. Which is rough. It is and totally unacceptable. It is 
real bad. Yeah. And unacceptable. Playing Jamaican, it's oh. not good. It's not good. It's not. It's not. And we're not gonna. We're not gonna be those uh, bright barters that say it was the time. No, it's not good. No, it's they should have figured else. Figured something else out. Because he wanted to disguise so that he could be in the room to help the little switcheroo heist go off without tipping their hand because Paul Gleason's character would recognize him. Mm-hmm. And so they said, so what do we do? Do we do a wig? Do we do facial hair? Do we do some kind of covering? Do we do prosthetics? No. We're going to just go with blackface Smear. and a Rasta wig. Yeah, and it was bad. It's it's real uncomfortable. It's it is real uncomfortable. It's roof. It is hard to look at. Yeah. Of course, when I was a kid, I was like, oh, ha ha, that's funny. And then I get older and I'm like, no. Yeah, it is. Oof. And it's, I mean, it's, I was going to say it's a surprise, but of course it's always a surprise. You don't ever go in thinking like, man, when's the blackface scene coming up in this movie? Like it just whew, appears. Yeah. So we've had two holiday movies in a row with blackface. I don't know if you'll remember a holiday in had Last an year. entire blackface. Uh, it was bad. Scene with pickaninnies. It was and bad. It was real his bad. His was worse. Mine, Mine was not it, as bad. Holiday in was way worse. Was this worse. is also real bad. Now I will say they use the word uh negro not, a lot not great in this movie not great um and i just wow it's bad wow it's bad they use the n-word maybe twice uh yeah it's it's real bad it's not good it's real bad and um it's it's also i think like a failure of the writing because you're like look there are pretty clear ways that you're already demonstrating through other dialogue and and story choices to show that the Duke brothers are pretty racist. And I think that you should have probably leaned into that. Winthorpe does it too. And yeah. And done with some other, some other language and some, some other coded language. Um, I think you could have definitely made them just as racist and convincingly grossly. So um, then, then with the, the language, man, it is, it's rough. Just heads up. If you haven't seen it in a while, or if you've only seen the TBS version, just be ready. Yeah, it you're going to hear Negro and you're going to going to slap you in the face. And then the other one will even more. It's, yeah, it's, punch it's, you in the gut. It's real rough. It's real rough. Um, But uh, so uh, off that, I mean, not that that, I mean, that's big and, play, mm-hmm. you know, that that I think is the uh, really the bad part of the movie. I don't know what the, I'm trying the, the to single say. The single flaw? Yeah, and that's the that's the flaw. That's, that's the, flaw. the big yeah. flaw. It's a big flaw. Yeah, you've got to work um, with that. You but... got to be able to work with that. Mm-hmm. And just kind of I mean, I don't I don't think it's a Breitbart thing. I think, you know, you just go, look, they made mistakes. This is a huge mistake and um, No, no, no. Uh Breitbart would be us defending it. Saying, well, I'm not defending saying, well, it's it. It's not that big a deal and it's just the way things were back then. Oh, like, no, I'm not yeah, defending no. it, but I am saying that is the way things were. Right, it's the way things are. Um, oh, they just yeah. they just wouldn't do it. They just wouldn't say it in a movie today. That's true. Um, for a okay, lot of reasons, yes. and so it's horrible and wrong. Yeah. Um. So I forgot to tell you about this. Jamie Lee Curtis's sister has a cameo. Uh, as does John Landis, and I said it to Daniel, and he didn't oh. believe me, and I found it. Um, but she is a she's one of the four snotty girls at the country club. Okay. And there is a. There and you didn't get it, but I was super super excited. There is a nod to one of my all time favorite movies and my the person who I am growing up to be, Auntie Mame. Um, when the girl's telling the story and she goes, and she stepped on the ball. Mm-hmm. Do you remember in Auntie Mame? When uh, he brings his horrible girlfriend over and she's like, you could practically write a whole book about what happened to me. And she's like, we had a terrific volley going. And then I stepped on the ball. Oh, no, I've forgotten that. Yeah. And they're all just like staring at her. And she's like, I was ghastly. I mean, it was absolutely ghastly. Yeah. Anyway, I got really excited because it was an Annie Mame reference, and apparently I've only I was seen Auntie Mame once. Only one who got it. So yeah, he watched it and he was like, "So this is just you." It's exactly you. It's just you. Yep. Which means I'm Robert Preston. I'm gonna fall off a mountain. I'm sorry. It's not gonna go well. No. Um. Yeah, this movie has a lot, a lot of stuff going for it, and uh, it is the beginning of Eddie Murphy owning the 80s. It is the beginning of Eddie Murphy becoming the highest paid star ever or something like that. There's some some sort of 
mm-hmm. and becoming a massive dick. Um, Probably. Yeah. And well, he does. No, I yeah. Mean, he huh. and then he uh, pays the price for it. Yeah. Um, and which is a shame because he is he is brilliant, and I think there are times when he should have won. I think he should have won the Oscar for Dreamgirls for sure. That he was sublime and i think he's being punished and i don't agree with that um yeah it sucks it sucks to see somebody in a performance like this where they're this young and charismatic and and you know just so smooth and great and funny and you think you're gonna make norbit one day i know it's a stone you're gonna make the nutty professor multiple times you're gonna make the clumps you're gonna make people farm it's just it makes me sad yeah it's a bummer it's a real bummer um, but you know what else he went on to make? Bowfinger. God, Bowfinger was so it was good. so good. Oh my God, that was so good. Yep. Um, and I will stand by Beverly Hills Cop 2. I don't care. I haven't seen two. I, I love it. I don't care. Okay. Um, so yeah, Trading Places, man. You, I say it's as much a Christmas movie as fucking Die Hard is. For and sure. And we have a uh, John McClane hanging from our Christmas tree. Right. So I'm going to find two little i'm gonna find a little commodities broker right and a <laughs> get a little thing of oj just a little i'm just gonna get a little thing of frozen little... concentrated orange juice and hang it from have you ever tree. had frozen concentrated orange juice oh yeah i mean huh? that's that used to be growing like up. growing up that used to mm-hmm. be before the whole you know yeah. everything has to be fresh yeah. and you'd get the little know. cylinder you'd pull a little plastic ring off of it for and sure for sure phew, into it and then just put it some water stir it up mm, oj yeah yeah and who knew it was a commodity I did not. At the I time. did not. I did not either. Still barely know what that means. I I don't, and I don't. Yeah. So there we go. I learned nothing. No. Um, except that I will never have a body like Jamie Lee Curtis. Me either. Maybe if I ate enough poop yogurt. <laughs> <laughs> Activia. This podcast is brought to you by Activia. Yeah. Do you want to sponsor us? Are you that crazy? Poop yogurt. Come on out. Come get it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's not sponsored. They're going to get mad. That's fine. No one's ever going to hear it. They're not going to hear it. It's fine. I'm glad you liked it. Totally. Very different from Holiday Inn. A touch. Just a in touch. In a good way. Just a touch. Yep. Uh, and and you do see. Okay, so the thing he was talking about coming to America. If you've seen Coming to America, the really awesome thing is, um, that movie is sublime. What is this velvet? Pound pound. Sugar Ray Robinson, the greatest fighter ever lived. Oh come on, man. What about Joe Lewis? The Brown Bomber. Now that was a great boxer. You damn right. I suppose nobody in here ever heard of Cassius Clay. We got a point. Cassius Clay was a bad motherfucker. Hey, I ain't saying Clay ain't bad. I'm just saying I stopped liking Cassius Clay once he changed his name to Muhammad Ali. What kind of shit is that? Wait a second. Wait a second. A man has the right to change his name to whatever he wants to change it to. And if a man wants to be called Muhammad Ali, God damn it, this is a free country. You should respect his wishes and call the man Muhammad Ali. His mama named him Clay. I'm going to call him Clay. Mm-hmm. That's right. I say Clay. Get out of here. <laughs> That's right. That's right. He going to always be Clay to me. I don't give a fuck what chain name to. He is Clay. He Clay to me. I say Clay. Well, then you're a putz. The three of you. Three putzes. You should change the name outside from Mighty Shop to the three putzes. You see um, Eddie Murphy wants to be poor and, and like see what it's like to be poor. And so he takes all of their money and gives it to these two old bums that are covered in newspapers or whatever on the street. And it turns out it's, of course, Mortimer Randolph and mm-hmm. Mortimer. Mm-hmm. And you hear, I think it's, I think he says Randolph, we're back. Um, Randolph, yeah. we're back. Yeah. And so anyone who's seen Trading Places gets that little like, hey. Uh-huh. Um, and there's that hilarious moment. Um, oh, I also wanted to say something that you wouldn't see today, I think The Atlantic was talking about, is at the beginning, you've got Marriage of Figaro playing. I think it's Marriage of Figaro playing. And you see... The, you see all of Philadelphia. You see the real Philadelphia. You sure. see, um, a, you see people, uh, in you know on the streets. You see people living in you know cardboard boxes. You mm-hmm. see people going through the daily life like a regular person, a normal mm-hmm. person making you know twenty five thousand dollars a sure. year, or whatever. And it's not until you, you then you finally end after seeing all this like poverty and 
Gradu and mm-hmm. it ends with this wealthy man being served breakfast in bed by his butler. Yeah. And it's just very it's I think I thought it was a really interesting way to open the movie. Yeah, like it drives um, home the point that this guy is just elite and out of touch and, you know, just yes. up up his own ass about stuff. Yes. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. So I like that. Mm-hmm. Me too. So see the movie if you haven't, but of course you have, and it's why you're screaming, why hasn't he seen this? Everyone has seen this. But I've seen it now. And it's You're amazing. Mm-hmm. Good movie. Um, and we can add it to our list of Christmas movies because I love it so much. Totally. So yeah. What's your hell yeah for? Yeah. Uh, my year, Is this a year end hell yeah? Or oh, is this a right now That's hell way yeah? too much pressure. Okay. Then we'll just do a right now hell I hadn't yeah. thought about that at all. Goodness. <laughs> Whoa. End. There is no year end hell yeah. Hyperventilating. <laughs> it's that I'm alive right? and breathing. So you just freaking made it? Uh, yeah, my hell yeah is going to be the latest season of Big Mouth, which we just finished watching <sighs> and was really, really good. Uh, it's really funny and uh, charming and sharp as always and super fast paced and super great. And it's getting to do now cool stuff that really smart comedies get to do a couple seasons in. It just finishes fourth season. Yeah. And that's build on itself and start to reference itself and older characters and Mm storylines and recombine them and do new situations with them. Mm -hmm. So because now we're familiar enough with these characters that they can take them into new places and call back to stuff from like two seasons ago. Yeah. And fold it in in new ways because they've got all this history to work with. Yeah. Uh, I thought the season was really funny, really well done. Um, I thought the arc with uh, with Missy embracing her uh, multiple angles of her personality, the transition to her new voice Fantastic. actress was was incredibly well done. So good. Um, just great acting and writing and directing all around. Um, so I just that was my hell yeah. We just finished it with the, the last episode of the season just the other day. And I was like, oh, I was, as always, I was bummed that it was We're the last episode, bummed. but it was such a good episode. So my hell yeah is, yeah, the latest season of Big Mouth. Check it I out. I heartily agree. And one of the things that I said, I think I said to Daniel yesterday was that, um, or day before, I don't know, it didn't matter. There were parts of it that I was like, I don't like this, but I know that it has to be in this because this is what the real world is like for teenagers Mm -hmm. like this is the reality um anxiety and all this kind of stuff like i it it almost is someone said someone told me that they couldn't watch big mouth because it was too real for them Mm -hmm. and i could see that it's real absolutely oh yeah Uh, so very real i really enjoyed it as well and of course our collective heartbreak in this house is we just want lola and uh Jay. Jay to be together. Just want to be happy. We just want them to be happy. Yep. So that's my hell yeah. That's a good one. Mm-hmm. My hell yeah is also a television show because it's 2020 and we can't leave the house. Yep. Um <laughs> I am beyond 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 uh over the uh season finale. <laughs> okay, let's start that over. Did you pick that not- up? Oh yeah. My hell yeah is uh, also TV related because we can't leave the house. So, of course, there you go. Um, I am uh, over the moon beyond, beyond, beyond happy with The Mandalorian and how it the season went with the guest stars. Timothy Oliphant, call me. Um, we had we got to see. um Ahsoka, we got to see like Bo-Katan, we got to see all these amazing characters. We got to see my baby's face. I mean, I love there's Pedro my Pascal, there's my baby, mean? and yeah. then there's Pedro Pascal. Jeez, yep. Call me. She's just real jazzed about that. So Pedro Pascal worked at the same place as one of my oldest and dearest friends. They worked together. They knew each other. They were friends. He said, "This is what he told me." He's like. If I just saw him on the street, he wouldn't recognize me. But if I stopped him and said, hey, Pedro, it's I'm not gonna say his name. It's Joe. He would he would immediately recognize me. He was the nicest guy ever. And I was like, well, I have literally lost all the blood in my head and have passed out um, because now I'm one degree away from Pedro Pascal, which means someday it's going to happen someday. Just hold out hope. But no, honestly, the season finale uh, 
was spectacular, spectacular. It was everything I wanted it to be. I cried so hard my eyes were puffy for she two days. She wept so hard. The dog was seriously concerned about me. The dog thought she was in pain. I woke up this morning to like 40 texts from my brother and sister about it. Um, I think we're going to end up watching it again on Christmas Day because they just were so, we're all just so completely insane for it. Um, and uh, I'm not going to spoil it because I don't know if you've no. seen it yet and I don't want to be a dick. No. But I will say that, like, it's ultimately very satisfying. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't, I can't handle all handsome Pedro Pascal. I she really can't. cannot. I really, like, I really, really can't. It's too much for me. But I highly recommend it. It's just, it's Star Wars, man. Mm-hmm. It's, what do you want from me? Yep. So that was a great way to end in the year. I just want the year to end. And I want, of course, I time is irrelevant so it's not like it's gonna do anything but yeah let's all get vaccinated and i have friends that have already been vaccinated and i'm very excited for them they're healthcare professionals not assholes in congress yes i'm they sorry they're it. all doctors they deserve every, it. everyone that i know that has been vaccinated is a doctor me too yeah um, everyone to know who's gotten the vaccine has deserved it and not been an asshole in congress yes so. who has jumped the line and fuck them yeah fuck them um but we love you guys and we're really glad you hung in there with us um yeah we're going to try to keep it going next year. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's... Uh, oh, you know what? Just a boom. Frank Oz is in Trading Places. There and it if is. You, if, you can, if you don't know what he looks like, but you can hear Fozzie Bear in the voice of someone, then you will know. It's going to mess with your head. It is. It's great. All right. So until... Until next time, y'all. Next time, we will uh, we'll be here. You'll be there. We probably won't be leaving our houses. So not for a long time. All right. Bye, everybody. I'm gonna go back to the house with a woman's mouth, reaching and crying.